good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. We are tonight returning to uh, the account of the healing of Naaman, as it is contained in 2 Kings 5. I'm not sure how you uh, picture this man, Naaman. I wonder what sort of things come to your mind when you think of his character, when you think of his temperament. Do you think it was a, a fierce, bad-tempered man? Or was he some sort of tyrant? Well... We can't be certain, but I think there are indications that that perhaps is not the case. There are clues in the passage that indicate that this man was held in esteem, even by those who were his inferiors. The mistress's maid, uh, Naaman's wife's maid, uh, certainly has a desire for her wife's, uh, wife's husband to be made better. It seems that she was kindly disposed to Naaman. Even the servants in verse 14, they have a desire expressed that they want Naaman to get better. They have no desire. They don't wish this man to die. I think it is significant that those under his authority value him, respect him, and even care for him. Yeah, one thing I think is clear when you consider his character and that is that Naaman was a proud man. Pride was the dominant feature in Naaman's interactions here in the early portion of this account. We are reading of a proud man humbled by God and such a humbling that was necessary unto his salvation. By nature, we're all proud individuals. Uh, that pride will manifest itself in various ways, but by nature we are wicked. And Psalm 10 reminds us that the wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. So as long as a sinner refuses to seek after God, they are therefore, by nature, proud individuals. There are a number of things that we, we hear, certainly in the, in the world in which we live, things that we hear that indicate a proud heart, a proud spirit. I don't need God in my life. I can get along just fine on my own. That's a proud statement. Someone else might say, well, I don't believe that God made this world. I don't believe that a God of love would send good people to hell. Those things are statements of pride, statements of heart that says, well, we know better than God. I'm a good person. God will be pleased with my goodness and my life. These are all things we hear regularly. And they are, of course, statements that come from a proud heart. The testimony of the Word of God is emphatic and consistent. Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly, but the pride he knoweth afar off. God resisteth the pride, but give grace unto the humble, 1 Peter 5 and the verse 5. And therefore, before we see the healing of Naaman, it is beneficial that we note the humbling of Naaman. We as a congregation are, 
who are earnestly seeking the face of God to save souls. As a congregation, we're earnestly seeking to bring the gospel to needy souls. And therefore, it is helpful to us to once again examine the nature of man's proud heart so that we would rightly pray over these things and that we'd rightly bring the word of God to bear against the arrogance of the natural man. And so when we think of the humbling of Naaman, there are a number of things that had to come to pass if Naaman was going to come to know the one true and living God. First of all, he had to reckon with his need. Now last time, we thought about how the Lord used the gift of leprosy in Naaman's experience. And without leprosy, he would not have come to meet Elisha. Without leprosy, he would not have come to know the one true and living God. The leprosy, this illness, showed Naaman his vulnerability. Verse 1 lists his greatness. A great man, honorable, a mighty man in valor. And then at the end of the verse, it simply says, a leper. After all of his accomplishments, he is a leper. And God is using this illness to humble Naaman. But leprosy in the Bible is itself a type, a picture of sin. I'm not going to establish that now, but it is uh, consistently shown throughout both the Old and the New Testament that when we see things regarding leprosy, we are seeing a picture regarding the nature of sin in the heart. A.W. Pink, in his work, shows ten ways in which leprosy pictures sin. Certainly it's associated with sin. You have occasions where people, due to their sin, are then smitten with leprosy in the judgment of God. It's a defilement from God. Those who have leprosy are kept out of God's presence, just as the sinner is. Leprosy is incurable by natural man. Man cannot cure leprosy. Leprosy affects the whole man. Every part as a spreading illness. Those are just a few of the ways in which leprosy pictures sin. And so for Naaman... To come to know the Lord, he had to first reckon with his need. A recognition of his condition was the first step towards seeking a cure. If you believe that you are well, then you will never seek a physician. It is a recognition of our illness that then caused us to seek a cure. And often we pray, do we not often pray, Lord cause, and you can put someone's name in here. Put whatever name you like. Lord, cause so-and-so to see their true condition. That's a good prayer. Humble so-and-so. Cause them to reckon with their God. Cause them to see the holiness of God. Cause them to see the majesty of God. And cause them to see that in God's sight they are altogether diseased. Those are prayers that we offer. We don't see the problem sometimes. Sinners feel to see their sickness. They are, they are living in this world. They presume all is well. But it's only when you come to see your need that you then come to seek for cleansing and healing. One of the things that often troubles me whenever I talk to the unconverted is when they say to you, I know I'm not perfect. Almost immediately, you have the right to go back to them and say, you must be a liar. Uh, what do I mean by that? Well, uh, we understand that people recognize that they have weaknesses. 
But to say you're not perfect in the sight of God is to say you are imperfect in the sight of God. And therefore, if someone says, I'm not perfect, and actually believes that, then surely they will get to God to deal with the problem of their sin. And so there's inconsistencies. Oh yes, I don't doubt people's sincerity. I don't doubt their honesty, if you like, and say, yes, I'm not perfect. But they haven't come to see their true condition in the sight of God. That to be not perfect in God's sight is to be imperfect, and then it's to be thoroughly diseased in need of a Savior. And so, Naaman has to first reckon with his need. In the second place, he had to receive the word of a servant. In verse number 10, And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. Naaman was wroth, verse 11, and he says in part, Surely, or sorry, I thought he will surely come out to me. There is a humbling experience here that Naaman, though he was a great and a mighty man, had to receive the word of a servant. Sometimes the sinner will say to you, well, if God actually spoke, then I'd believe. If I actually heard God speak to me, then I would believe the word of God. Well, part of the humbling of the sinner is accepting the word of a humble servant. That's what we see in the New Testament. You have a portion like Romans chapter 10. We know very well the words then, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But the hearing is by a preacher. How shall they hear without a preacher? But what are they hearing? Well, faith comes by hearing the word of God. The words that come from God, but they come through a preacher, through a messenger. And part of the challenge for the sinner is to recognize that though the words are spoken by a man, yet they are the very words of God. And so we saw in the Lord's day past that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul could be thankful to the believers there because when they received the word of God, which he heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God. We shouldn't be embarrassed by saying to someone, this is the word of God. And it is part of the work of God in the sinner's heart. That they'd be humble to the point that they would gladly receive the word of a servant. That again is something to pray over. Lord, bring my loved one under the word of God and give them the humility to receive the words from an imperfect preacher. And they've come to see this is the word of God. You see, there are concrete things to pray over here. To, to see what does God do in Naaman and would not God do that in the lives of others? A humbling to receive the word of a servant. He also had to review his notions of God and religion. Verse 11, Behold, I thought. Our thoughts are not God's thoughts. And when the sinner thinks, and the sinner without the work of regeneration, when they think, they'll think wrong things about God. 
And Naaman's imagination of religion was that it ought to be dramatic and theatrical. He almost imagines Elisha coming out in a puff of smoke. And as he comes out, he's going to wave his hands and say some incantation, and that's going to solve the problem. It's going to be dramatic, it's going to be theatrical, and that's how God's going to heal his leprosy. That's what he thought. There is a reason why sinners like some of the high church practices with the incense and the grand music and the fancy windows and all the smells and bells. They like those things because they have a notion that religion must be dramatic and theatrical. And they appreciate those things. And part of the challenge is to convince people that God works through the still small voice of his word. And God works through simple means. Oh, the charismatics aren't much better. They have a notion that God must do things that are altogether spectacular. And so the healing ministries and people falling backwards and falling over themselves or falling into laughter, all these things, they are man's notions regarding religion. And they're not according to the very word of God's. And the sinner must come to reckon with this. Now you may say, well, well that wouldn't happen to us. No, but in our circles, it happens in a different way. I once spent a long time trying to lead a lady to the Savior. And the obstacle that I couldn't get over in her mind was the experience she had of seeing others come to Christ. She was witnessing her friends. And when they had come to know the Savior, there was an outbursting of emotional experience. There was many tears. There was much sadness and sorrow. And she said, well, that must be the way I need to get to Christ. Expecting that that was the path that she must follow. Rather than simply hearing the words, repent and believe the gospel, and repenting and believing the gospel. You see, we're not immune to these things. And so for the sinner, they must be clear that their notion of religion is not their thinking, but God's thinking. In the fourth place, he had to reject his national cultural pride. Verse 12 is about more than water. It's not a matter about clean water or dirty water. Are not Habana and far, far rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? The issue here was that Naaman had to reckon with the fact that the God of salvation was not the God of Syria, but the God of Israel. Was there any virtue in the Jordan? You all know the answer to that. The answer, of course, is, is no. There was no intrinsic virtue in the Jordan. But the use of the Jordan was the means that God was going to use to remove the pride of a man. He was proud of his heritage, proud of his culture. He thought uh, being from Syria made him better than those who came from Israel. Uh, this was always a, a challenge in, in Northern Ireland. You'll appreciate in Northern Ireland the distinction of Protestant and Catholic was sharper than perhaps it is here at this time. But there was a challenge that those who were steeped in their Protestant heritage believed that because they were good living Protestants that they had no real need to seek God. 
Now, we may not have the exact same distinctions here, but there are many you meet. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a Southern Baptist. Oh, I'm a Presbyterian. I, I, I go to the church around the corner. And you meet them on their doors, and what is their confidence? It is some particular heritage or background that they presume will merit favor with God. And we should not presume that our children, our young people, are immune to such. Oh, my parents, they were really serious about the Lord. They homeschooled me. They Christian schooled me. They brought me to so many meetings that I lost count. I had more meetings than I had dinners. And therefore, I've got this heritage. And therefore, surely God must favor me. I've got to get rid of all that nonsense and realize that your heritage is a privilege, but it is not a guarantee of God's favor. You have the blessing of God in the Word of God. But you've got to reckon with the fact that salvation does not come through blood. Not through your parents' blood in that sense. It does not come because of your heritage or your background. It comes in the free grace of God. And God is pleased to bless families because the Word of God is passed down from generation to generation and salvation comes through the Word of God. But your privilege does not earn your salvation. Nothing earns salvation. And your salvation is the free gift of God. Salvation comes through Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Naaman also in the fifth place had to realize that he could not earn his salvation. Listen to the words of verse number 13. His servants came near and they spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? Those are one of the wisest words from a pagan in all of the Bible. They've put their finger on the issue of Naaman's heart. Your problem is, it's just too simple. If you had something great to do, Naaman, surely you would have gone ahead and done it. Surely to be a Christian, you've got to be involved in some great act. It is no surprise that works religion is popular. And it's all its various forms. It is popular because we all want to feel we've done something to earn God's favor. And so Naaman is humbled in all of these things. And that these things were a challenge to Naaman is clear from his response. Verse 11, Naaman was wroth. Verse 12, he turned and went away in a rage. The proud heart responds to the gospel in anger. Sinners are offended that the gospel requires humiliation. Admit you're a sinner. Come to God his way, not your way. They're offended by the narrowness of the gospel or even the simplicity. It's only by Christ. You must only believe and you can be saved. And the simplicity is a stumbling block to some. Paul says we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so it all comes to a head. His servants challenge him, verse 13. And then verse 14, then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan. 
Oh, there is so much that occurs between verse 13 and verse 14. He's heard the rebuke. He's come to reckon with the situation. And by grace, he's come to believe and obey the word of God. Which leads tonight, secondly, and very quickly, to the healing of Naaman. Two things. Naaman's healing was an act of God. That is clear from the response of the king of Israel. Verse 7, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man does send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? That's true. Only God could heal the leper and only God can heal the sin-sick soul. Part of the reason why we're here, isn't it? And there's a recognition that only God can save the soul. There was nothing in virtue in the dirty Jordan there was nothing in dipping seven times. Other lepers may have washed the Jordan to no effect. Simply, this was God's appointed method, and the lesson was that only God could heal Naaman. And only God can save the sinner. But having noted the act of God, I do not want to miss the importance of the acts of man. The healing of Naaman is one of the most vivid pictures of what faith looks like. And one of the things we must be clear about is that while we believe in the sovereign grace of God and it's only God who saves, we do not deny the necessity of man's actions. Man must accept Christ. Man must believe the gospel. Sinners are not saved in isolation of their understanding, of their heart, or of their will. But God in his mercy so moves so that the believer themselves loves Christ, trusts in Christ, and sees Christ in his glory. The believer is actually acting as they come to receive Christ. Not in their own virtue, not in their own power, but only by the power of God. But no less they are still acting. See, faith believes the promise and faith obeys the command. The gospel's a promise. What hope did Naaman have of being healed here? His money, his fame. No, all hope was gone. His only hope was in the word of promise. Verse number 10. Go wash, and thou shalt be clean. Simple. What must the sinner do to be cleansed of their sins? What pathway must they follow? There are no conditions that the sinner must meet to receive Christ. Not one. There is no obstacle course in the sinner's path to get to Christ. No steps, no stairs, nothing. They simply have to believe the promise. God has said, believe and thou shalt be saved. God has said, whosoever shall call shall be saved. God has said, if thou confess with thy mouth and believe in thy heart, thou shalt be saved. Promises, promises that come from God. And the warrant of faith is always the promise of God. Do not imagine that because of your tears that you were then worthy of the gospel. Do not imagine that because you felt really, really bad, that therefore you are worthy of the gospel. The only, the only reason you have to hope in the gospel is the promise of God. And so let's be careful 
As we share the gospel, let us be careful that we do not put some conditions before the sinner. Whereby we then believe you are now worthy of Christ. Be careful in such things. Sinners will come to Christ in different ways. Different experiences. Different emotional states. Our duty is to tell them, believe and thou shalt be saved. Whoever you are, whatever your background, whatever your sin, you believe and you shall be saved. Faith believes the promise. And faith obeys the gospel. Obeys the command. The gospel is a command. And that's the significance here of Naaman washing himself seven times. It is complete, full obedience. Six times, not enough. Jordan and not other rivers because God said so. It is God who says, repent and believe the gospel. The gospel and not something else. Faith and repentance, no other way. To get to Christ, it's only through his gospel. To get there, it's only by faith and repentance. And the gospel is a command that must be obeyed. Acts 6, a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now obey does not mean you earn the salvation. But obey is how we receive what is provided by God. It is clear that man is responsible before the command of God. Don't be guilty of gospel sin today by disobeying the command. And perhaps for some here, even you here and today, you're guilty of what the Puritans called gospel sin. You haven't drunk alcohol. You've never smoked. You've never committed adultery. You've never murdered. You've never stolen anything. But consistently you've heard the gospel command and disobeyed the gospel. You're guilty of gospel sin. The gospel is a command that must be obeyed. So we see much in the picture here of Naaman's humbling and healing that informs our praying and informs our efforts to bring the gospel to sinners. I think keeping in mind that the gospel is a promise and a command will govern how we deal with lost souls. No matter their lostness, there's a promise to hold on to. But in light of their rebellion, there's a command that must be obeyed. It's very simple, very straightforward. Let's not overcomplicate things, but pray for God to save souls and preach in a way that offers Christ to all men without exception. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170. That's 610-993-3170. Or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified.